This episode of The Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Well, you're back at it, listening to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and we've got baseball underway. And opening day, April 1. And this year is going to be much different than last year. We're going to try and get 162 games in an entire season compared to, well, maybe 60 of last year. And with me this week is Saul Martinez. Saul is with the San Francisco Giants. And well, Saul, you've had a couple of different job titles with the Giants first. Welcome on to Zealous. And then let's talk about all the things you're doing with the Giants. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah, so I started off with the Giants as their AZ ball, AZL uh, strength coach. So it's a rookie ball league. I did that in 2014. And then from 15 to 17, I was their Latin American strength and conditioning coordinator. After that, I got the call up and I started being the assistant strength coach slash sports scientist with the major league team from 18 until now. So this is going to be my fourth season with the major league team. Um, yep. Yeah, so, so what is that? What's that like coming up through the organization? First of all, you, you mentioned the rookie league. So that's a completely different uh, kind of I would say, uh, not client, but athlete that you're training uh, that are just coming into the world of, of like really professional organized baseball. And then you're, you're coordinating down the Dominican Republic uh, with Latin American players coming up through the ranks there. And now you're in the majors. So what, what were the biggest differences between AZ and the DR and now you're in, in the Bay? All right. Well, I have to say AZL, it's, focusing on just the development of the player there, like just coaching basic basic techniques, right? And keeping that kid consistent, um, trying to build a routine in place with them. Um, being the Latin American coordinator, same responsibilities, just added on in terms of like inventory. Now I got to take inventory supplements. I got to make sure that my coworker that I work with knows the protocols. He knows the routine. We're on the same page with things, right? I have to now communicate a lot more with the whole medical department down there, with their coaching staff down there, that we're all on the same page. Um, and then getting up to the big leagues, I would say the biggest difference is controlling my ego and being able to deal with the players' egos as well. You know, some of these guys have great, uh, major league guys have great routines. They all have unique routines, but it's a matter of understanding why they do what they do, not necessarily questioning them why they do it, but understanding why they do it so that I can assist them. Like in the big major leagues, it's a lot more about assisting them in tweaking their workout slightly, more so than actually having them do a completely different workout. You know, and by, I guess my, my point on egos is like, I can't say, oh, if that person's not doing the workout that I want him to do, then he's not doing the right thing. It's like, no, this guy's been pro ball for five to 10 years. Maybe listen to why he does what he does. And I might learn from it, you know what I mean? Or if I built such a good relationship with that player, he might take something away from what I know. You know so it's, been, it's being willing, it's being able to be open and understanding of people's ideas. So each player 
on the Giants has their individual strength and conditioning program is what I'm hearing you say. There isn't one just one sample routine that everyone's going to go through. So you're you're really just working with the individual and what their their favorite lifts are perhaps or what their routine is. Is that is that accurate? Well, no, let me I guess let me reword this. We have a template, we have a set structure on how we want what type of lifts we want them to do, rep scheme. But not every single player is going to do that. You know what I mean? Like a, a veteran might have his own routine. He might want to come in once or twice a week and do maybe just a set of squats or maybe a set of lunges or whatever it may be. And it's like, you got to be able to make adjustments. I have a, like, we have a set template. Our head strength coach has a great template. Like it's a great routine, but not everyone might follow that. While you might want everyone to follow it, you got to be open-minded and know that not everyone's going to be able to do it. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. Like Johnny Cueto, I work with him personally. Um, he's a big volume guy. He likes doing tons of reps, uh, very low intensity. And he likes working out three or four times a week. And sometimes with him is controlling his volume. Is he out? Is he working out too much? You know what I mean? Is he running too much? And with him, it's like I gotta build, I gotta, I built that report where I have the confidence in talking to him about, hey, you know what? The volume might be a little high. Instead of maybe going three sets of 10 on these squats with 135, 185, why don't we increase it a little bit and go three sets of five or three sets of six? And then instead of doing three sets of 10 lunges, why don't we do three sets of five lunges? with 70s or 80s instead of 30s and 40s you know so in that aspect and then also like hey have you done your hip mobility let's focus on your hip mobility because your internal or external rotation might not be good and i'm saying this in regards to every every single player all right um i think i know we talk about like oh corrective exercises corrective exercises or corrective exercises not necessarily going to make the person stronger or whatever it may be but i think corrective exercises are beneficial because and preps that person's body for the game or for practice while you still have to get strength gains and actually training. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Now you mentioned like working with players and uh, making sure they're more or less staying in the training zone where they're not overtraining or undertraining. So what are the metrics or assessments that you use to determine that? Uh, well, currently we're using uh, gym aware. So from velocity standpoint, right? So with older, with the older veterans, they're not, they're not all about using all these technologies. So you got to kind of be wary about it. Um, but we're using gym aware with some of our players. And then we're also using force plates to see if the training that we're doing is actually providing benefit. Gotcha. So you have real information and insight as to how their performance is doing. So it's not, obviously it's not going to be guesswork, but there's, there's numbers, there's, there's tech behind it. So that it's yeah. just uh, kind of subjective. Mm -hmm. Right on. Okay. So now with spring training kind of coming to an end and, and, and the, the real season coming on to, well, opening day, San Francisco, April 1st, is that right? April 1st, yeah. Wow. What's, what's changing in regards to the training and conditioning when opening day comes around in regards to your role with the athletes? A little less volume. Um, right now we're doing a uh, mass running. So we did that based off their, their VO2 max test that we did. Um, comes around first day of spring training physicals. Uh, so our strength coach, uh, Brad Lawson, did a really good job of progressing them. So we went from 100% uh, max speed to then 110, 
right? So actually what we ended up doing was it was a hundred and we start off with six reps and then eight reps and then 10 reps. And then we jumped, I believe to 110 and then with six reps, eight reps, and then 10 reps. And we varied the distances. So whether it was like a 50 yard, like uh, increments or a hundred yard increments as a way to progress the athlete. And then just being able to have communication, Hey, how difficult was this workout compared to previous workouts? How do you feel? Are you overly fatigued today? Do you feel comfortable running this today? Would you rather have a day of low impact? So it's constant communication and then slow progressions with numbers that we've actually tested. And is it always linear or is it omnidirectional at times? Well, I believe the way that Brad was doing it, he went six reps at like one at 100%. And then I think he went eight reps at 100%. And then he dropped it back down to six at 110. And then he believed he went eight at 110. And then he went back up to uh, 10 reps at 100 or something like that. He ended up switching it up. We kind of undulated it a little bit. I see. I got you. Yeah. When it comes to kind of coordinating with, other coaches such as himself, but also like the athletic trainer, uh, the, the dietitian. how does that work within the organization? Do you guys have regular weekly meetings? Are they daily meetings? Are you just, so we have, we have a daily meeting. Um, as soon as we get in the meetings, depend, the meeting time depends on uh, when the game starts, whether it's a day game or a night game during spring training, but we always have it maybe like 15, 20 minutes before the players show up maybe a little faster than that don't quote me on that but we'll have a daily meeting on injuries what the plan is with each player whether the person has a bullpen what the condition is going to be for that day who has or has not lifted um you know what i mean and just so that everyone's on the same page and this includes the strength coaches this includes our dietitian this includes the trainers our physical therapists and then even our pitching coach great now, when you have an athlete that is returning to play, they've obviously got to go through screening and a process, but is that, how, how does that work? Uh, obviously, let's just say they, they see the ortho and then does that mean they go to the physical therapist and then to the athletic trainer or from the physical therapist to you? Where, what's the kind of, not chain of command, but what's the, what's the process like? Well, someone has an injury, orthopedic um, doctor has to evaluate them. The trainer collaborates with the doctor for MRIs and then the doctor breaks down the MRI information. Our physical therapist and our head of athletic training then make a decision on what, I guess the rehab protocol is gonna be for that person, number of days, weeks or months, whatever it may be. Um, and then the physical therapist prescribes a set workout routine and then the trainers and the strength coaches and myself then work all together to make sure that those workouts and that process is actually completed. Okay. But that that process is talked about every single day. Gotcha. I was just thinking, well, is there somebody on your staff, maybe yourself or one of the other strength coaches that is the go-to person when it comes to that element or, but it sounds like you all share that same role together. Yeah, in the minor leagues, we do have our assistant strength coach is also our rehab coordinator. Gotcha. Um, in the major leagues, we don't just because the amount of players that we have. Um, and it'd be difficult to just assign one person to a single task, you know. Because um, part of my role as a sports scientist is, is I'm also the assistant strength coach, so I have to work out with the guys. 
and then we also have all these recovery methods that we have, like, well, the float tank, the float bed, the Normatex. And I almost feel like I've become almost like a spa service <laughs> at times. It's like, hey, man, what time do you want to get into the float tank? All right, you want to get at 11? All right, cool. I got someone in at 12. So I got to make sure I get you out by 11.45 to make sure I run the filtration system for it to have it ready to go for the next guy. All right, you want to do the hyperbaric chamber today? All right, at what time? At one? All right, cool. Yeah, I can get you in at one. And then I run down and then continue to work out with the guys. So it's a lot of collaborating. It's like, hey, man, I'm working out with this guy real quick, but I got to go get so-and-so in the float tank. Can you cover me for like five minutes while I come back? You know, so now, it's, uh, the float tank. That's that's kind of interesting because uh, I was just talking to Derek Cantini up at the Seattle Mariners, and uh, we're talking about how do you help regulate the their ANS and and that whole sympathetic parasympathetic system? How do you kind of help to upregulate or downregulate where the players are in any given moment? So do you use the float tank for that to kind of do some not sensory deprivation but just reduce sensory input so that they're they're kind of getting back into the zone. What do you use the float tank for? I, I kind of use the float tank as a way to promote better quality of sleep, more so than actually manipulating like their, their nervous system. Okay. I view it, I view it more so like, hey, the guy's like, hey man, I'm kind of like tired. Like, I was like, all right, well, did you get everything that you had to get done? Like for practice? Yeah, I'm done already. All right, cool. Let's get in the float tank, relax your muscles, relax your mindset. And it puts you into a different mindset that allows you to fall asleep easier at night because the flow tank itself is not going to give you the recovery protocol. It's not, it'll relax your muscles, of course, but it's not going to recover you. True recovery will come from quality of sleep. And if the flow tank can allow you to de-stress, so make you a little bit more parasympathetic and not as sympathetic, then it'll promote better sleep. And then your better sleep will actually promote the healing response and the recovery aspect that we're truly looking for. So how do you monitor their sleep? Is it based on the individual and they do it themselves or um, that you use? Actually, I have, I have a whoop. So um, I've been all about whoop, man, for like the last year, year and a half. Um, it's a teacher for me. It teaches me how my body responds. You know, it makes me aware of my body. It makes me aware of whether I'm sleeping well or not in terms of consistency. Hey, did I go to sleep at 10 every single day? You know what? I noticed when I went to sleep at 11 or 12, and I woke up at the same time, I didn't feel as good. Or even if I went to sleep at 12, but I woke up an hour or two later than I normally do, my sleep was still not as good if, if I would have gone to sleep at 10 and I woke up at six. Because your brain always wants to be in that same, I guess, sleep cycles, right? So that's what I've kind of noticed for myself. And then also, if I eat a heavy meal at night, I'll say, oh, I want to go out, have a, a good steak, some mashed potatoes and stuff. And it's like, oh, I felt really good at night, but then I got shitty quality of sleep. Like, so was it worth it? have to stay or maybe got a fish or like a, a leaner meat you know what I mean and yeah. the players start to tell me that you know like I give this to the players I don't see their info I'm pretty sure you know all about the PA the players association and sports science and information and like it basically if I want to see their information and they have to sign off on it it's all a whole bunch of a whole bunch of uh issues it makes it a little bit harder to collect the information. So what I told them is, you know what? I don't need to see the information. Our front office is not going to see this information. I want you to use this information for your benefit, for your improvement and performance. If you have any questions on this and you feel comfortable sharing 
the app with me because you know like on the whoop app it's really it's a very good interactive app easy to see like easy to follow app i was like if you have any info if you have any questions on that bring that to me and i will explain that to you so do all the players use this no we got a handful of them we probably got like 10 to 15 guys that use it and this is including major league and minor league guys but the way I view it is, man, if I get two or three guys on a major league team to use it, that's a win. You know, like, because then it self-promotes itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. And it's going to it's going to really help to be a barometer of, of overtraining, right, of, of performance levels. So yeah. if these guys are talking to the teammates and saying, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing I'm actually in the zone, but it's, it's definitely because of my sleep. I'm getting so much better sleep now. And I can tell because of this. And then the next thing you know, you're going to get some other guys that are going to come to you and go, okay, tell me about whoop. What's that all about, Saul? So, so let's talk about sports science, because that is a term that we're hearing just bubble up over the last few years. And you ask one person and they'll tell you a different definition than the next guy beside him. So I want to hear your definition, Saul. What is a sports scientist? I would say someone that manages stress and is able to help someone manage that stress, provide tools on how to manage that stress. That's and what I think sports tools? scientist is. All right. So what are, what are your tools that you use for sports science? Number one for me right now is WHOOP. Second one would be some sort of external load monitor, such as I use Zephyr right now with the guys. So Zephyr is an accelerometer. So I use that with two players right now. Um, and then the third one, which I need to get better at, and I'm not, don't really know it much, is the force plates, man. Gotcha. You know, which metrics are we truly looking at? Which metrics are truly valuable from a force plate, right? And then fourth would be, actually, let me run that back. Third would be via, um, third would be gym aware. And then my fourth would be the force plate. And the reason I say that is because what's applicable to me and what can I make a change day to day, right? So from a whoop standpoint, I can make a change like, hey, why aren't you getting good sleep? All right, did you hydrate? Did you not hydrate? Did you eat? Did you eat? Did you not eat? Uh, did you go to sleep at a good at a, at a reasonable time? Yes or no? And then from a Zephyr standpoint is a workload monitor standpoint, right? Um, for baseball, it's a little harder than I think it would be for like soccer or basketball because it's a very, those are basketball and soccer are a lot GPS based. So distance ran, right? Whereas for baseball, like baseball players don't really run. But when you really think about it, there's a lot of impact on their joints from the number of swings and from the number of throws. But how do we track that? It's very difficult to track that. Catapult tries to track that through transverse like plane or like through their, their system that they have, right? That can track rotation, but like, how about the impact that it's coming onto the hip from every single pounding of a swing? How do we track that? And I think if we're able to track that, then we can get a better, a better outlook of what a true workload is for a baseball player day in and day out. So I'm trying to do that with Zephyr, but it's just, Zephyr is just an accelerometer. So it's just basically a stop and go. And the guys place it like on their T-spine, their upper back, and it just measures, it doesn't even really measure rotational speed, but it just measures acceleration. So either sagittal, frontal, or uh, yeah, basically sagittal, frontal, or vertical, sorry. Um, so I use that. And then Jim Aware from, hey, have you been consistent with your squats? 225, can you move 225 at 0.75 meters per second? Okay, if you can, 
and then now you're moving in at 0 0.8, 0 0.9, can we increase the weight to still have you move it at 0.75? Is it, come, is it going up or is it going down? If it's going down, let's reduce the weight. If it's still going down, let's maybe deload for a couple of days. But let's take it back. Let's kick it back. You know, and from force plate production, it's like, how do you know if a guy's fatigued or undertrained? I'd love to know that. Like, how do you know if a guy's fatigued or undertrained from a force from a force plate metric? Like, is a decrease in eccentric impulse a sign of of undertraining or is it a sign of fatigue? I don't know. I might sound like an idiot asking that right now. No. No, but I I don't know that. So like, I'm trying to use tools that I can use day in and day out right now, and then no. use these other two force plates and stuff to almost look back to do like a retro aspect study. Yeah, kind of coordinate between all the the tech information and see if it if there is a correlation between fatigue versus overtraining. Like with Zephyr, the accelerometer, are you using it for weight room lifts as well? Like looking. No. At like tempo changes to know how the load is, you know, what you okay. should be using. I'm using it in games. Game. Oh, in games, total games. Yeah. Just games. Um, you know, to see what a guy's workload is in game. If a guy's workload is arbitrary units, of course. Right. So like, let's say the mechanical unit is on average 110 to 120. If a guy's a 130, 140 that day or one day, I might tell him, Hey, you know what? Get some extra sleep. Or tomorrow, maybe reduce your practice load a little bit. Instead of taking 80 swings, maybe take 50. But then that's where you kind of get in. It's like, oh, I'm not a hitting coach. I'm not going to mix into that. But it's like, can we make everyone more aware of workload? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to change the game. The guy's got to play. I'm not trying to take him away from the game. Yeah. But can we reduce practice so that he's the freshest possible for the game? And what about like resting heart rate being a barometer of their, their autonomic nervous system, right? Get, yeah. it, do you use that at all? Or I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's in, that's in the Whoop app. So the Whoop is. app provides you a uh, resting heart rate, and then it also provides you HRV. So I'm getting an, I'm getting an inside view on his internal response, not to the game itself, but to the whole day itself, you know? Not so true. let's say I have one of the players um, wear whoop throughout the whole day in game. And he'd be like, Hey man, my average whoop score when I'm playing is a 17 or like a 16 or something like that. So that's the whole day and the game itself. So if one day he gets a 19, he goes, man, I feel a little tired today. I was like, yeah. I was like, why do you think? He's like, well, I took a lot. I did a lot more for practice today. And the game was also a lot really intense. I was like, all right, perfect. So this is what we're going to do. That happened already. Get some good sleep today. Maybe before, before you leave the stadium, maybe do contrast, you know, maybe get relaxed a little bit. Or actually, I'm in contrast because contrast might similar to us. Like get in the hot tub, relax your muscles, Norma tech before you go to sleep, wake up in the morning, have a good breakfast, come into practice a little bit later, take a couple swings, a couple ground balls to get ready for practice, and then to see how you respond. You know, if he tells you, hey, I'm still dragging, sorry. All right, you know what? Let's push back your workout today. If we are going to do a workout, let's maybe decrease the volume, do a little circuit to increase blood flow instead, and then see how you respond the following day. So it's a lot of constant communication with the guys because all this tech can be really good, but the number one thing is telling the person, how do you feel today? If you have, that's if you have a good relationship with that, with that player. Sure. I, I can see you 
not just a sports scientist, but more like a detective at the same time, because yeah. you're given, provided all these clues through tech and just the feedback from the players. And you're trying to piece together all these pieces to the puzzle to try and get the most greatest, the, the most optimal outcome you can. And it's constantly changing from one day or one hour to the next, depending upon, well, their mental state, their level of hydration, their fueling, their rest, their workload, their game schedule. Just there's so many elements that you're having to juggle through and everyone's going to have their own kind of unique kind of blend or recipe for success that you've got to figure out which is going to be best for this player versus that player. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, that is true. You know, that is true. Like some guys, um, like for one of our players last year, it's like he would come in a little bit later. Like I didn't work with him directly, but this is like the rest of the coaching staff. Like, and be like, you know what? Come in a little bit later, get more sleep. When you come into the cage, we'll work with you separately. Um, and then prior to you going out to the game, let's do some sort of activation. Just get you moving. You know what I mean? Let, let's do some core activation with some glute and then some metabolic work, basically a PAP, and then get you going for the game. And he had a really good season last year, you know, but it, it's finding that perfect blend for each player that, get, that works for them. Yeah. Now, let's, let's talk about last season for a second, because that was... I'm sure one heck of a nightmare, but this season is, is adding something else. But first, uh, 2020 COVID season it condensed and all that. What was that like? Um, it was a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a sprint and it was the unknown made it like kind of a little exciting, but kind of like, boring at the same time you know because it's extended it's like oh well what's going to happen today like what's going to pop up in the news like what are we going to see on ESPN you know so exciting in that way but then also at the same time it's like all right well I have no life outside of baseball it's like because if I go outside and I go to the store like go first of all you can't go out to restaurants because it's not it's against the protocols right but let's say you walk outside you go to Starbucks and you grab something which you're allowed to do but and you test positive, it's like, shoot, like, damn, I tested positive and I could give the chance of giving it to someone else. Like, so that's that's what kind of made it a little bit scary. You know, it's like you almost just want to stay in your room the whole time because you don't want to expose yourself and then expose the rest of the team. So it's like, you know what, like for the betterment of the team, I'm going to stay inside and just basically from the hotel to the bar park and then back. And that's it. You know what I mean, so it's that's going back to like the mental the mental state is like you got to be mentally tough to know that you're sacrificing like your personal life for the betterment of the team and for the betterment of winning you know because it's a lot more it almost felt like I don't want to say this but it almost felt like whoever stayed the healthiest not even from just a physical like a, a I guess a, a tissue injury standpoint but whoever stayed the the healthiest from an immune standpoint did the best last year, you know? And what was speaking of that with like tissue uh, strength, the uh, resiliency and, and not getting injured, you were in the season just about to start and restrictions come down and the season gets suspended. And then 
then all the players have to go back to wherever they live and you've got to figure out with the rest of the staff how to keep them at a certain level of performance even though they can't play the sport right now and you're dealing with maybe shipping exercise equipment to their homes or if they have bands or kettlebells or whatever you're kind of just you're herding cats basically for for a month or two and then you get word that okay we're going to have a season after all but it's going to be 60 something games instead of 162 i mean you what was the the injury rate not that and i'm not asking to name names or anything like that but was it different and now granted you had fewer games so fewer chances of injury occurring but in that 60 some odd games that you played that season was there any difference in injury rate compared to your regular season? Um, off of the top of my head, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I think having a modified spring training, the way that we did, like spring training 2.0, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it kind of showed us that we can probably progress the players in slightly less time than I think people expected. You know, but I think we were able to do that with our players because we had constant communication with them throughout the offseason. You know, we were constantly asking them, how are you doing? What have you been doing for your running? Have you been following the running program? Have you been listing consist like lifting consistently? And I think that is attributed to our medical staff and coaching staff having constant communication with their players and not just being like, hey, come back in shape. It's like we were literally holding them accountable by communicating with them at least once every two weeks, you know, and, and our players knowing that we're always not necessarily on top of them, but always wanting to know that they're doing their best kind of helped us out a lot from an injury standpoint in terms so of just now, hamstring, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely see it. Having constant communication with them is going to be critical, especially when you're not able to be with them on a daily basis. So just fast forward to this year and now spring training, just finishing up in Scottsdale, coming back up to the Bay Area, uh, first games, April 1st. What is it more the mental aspect this year? Is it what is it that's that's going to be different coming into this this season? Um, knowing that it's just going to be work, 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 work the whole time. Like, uh, I mean, I guess when you kind of look, look at the schedules, like, all right, I'm going to be able to go to New York In New York, we got an off day in New York. So I'll be able to go with my family or like, I'll be able to meet up with my friend in New York on the off day. And it's like knowing that it's going to be strictly work the whole time. And kind of makes it a little bit more difficult. You know what I mean? Because I think there is a balance between work and personal life. And I guess knowing that is like, you got to buckle it on, like strap it on and just know that you're going to grind it out for six months. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, say, the players and 25%, I think, in attendance, um, it, what's that? You know, Before, there was nobody in the stands, basically. And did, did you get any feedback from the players as to how that affected their performance? Did, because no one was cheering or booing or whatever the case may be, how did that affect the play? And as a sports scientist, you know, how do you, how do you address that? 
Um, I would say a couple of players, they like the excitement of the crowd. They they feed off the crowd. You know, the adrenaline is a little bit more there. So I think we'll, we'll see a little bit more out of these players in terms of, like, hey, can you maybe increase your velo by one mile, two miles with the crowd cheering or like in a high intense situation? You know what I mean? Or I'll give you another way, like maybe for a rookie or someone who hasn't played in the crowd and all of a sudden there's like 20,000 people in attendance, will that person crumble? Like, would all that pressure truly affect that person? Don't know, you know, so that'd be that'd be the exciting part of it. Um, from a mental standpoint, I think it's a benefit. It's a benefit to sense of reality, sense of real life, like sense of like, hey, I'm not doing this just to entertain, like, or why am I doing this better set, right? It's like, you're doing this because you love the game and because all these people are here to get entertained and see you as a hitter or see you as a pitcher perform. And I think that provides confidence in our players and it a lot more positivity. And it's like, there's a big reason on why we're doing this. Like, and it resonates with them a little bit more. Gotcha. Now you've been doing this for four years. You've been with the Giants organization. Yeah, I've been with the team, with the Giants organization, the, the major league team for four years. This is going to yeah. be my fourth season. And then more for, for with the minors and the Latin. But that's a long time to have a career with a major league sports team and stay with yeah. one team. So, you know, and that it maybe uh, maybe you've got a secret there. What's what's going on? Why why have you stuck around there so long? Uh, obviously, you're doing a good job, but um, it, this is a year-to-year kind of career, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a year-to-year contract. And so, um, how how is that on you, just personally? You know, man, I was last year with a COVID, man. It it sucked, right? Like, I mean, it was unfortunate that we had to cancel the season for three to four months, or maybe even a little bit more. But that was kind of like a blessing in disguise for me, man. How so? I was able to spend time with my parents. Like, I hadn't spent that much time with my parents since I was 18. So I went to Santa Barbara for undergrad, to, went straight to Miami from a grad school. And I came back to UC, I came back home, but I was interning at UCLA from like Monday through Fridays. I'd wake up at five, get home by six. So I didn't really get to see my parents much. I would probably only see them like on the weekend. Um, and then I went, I started working with the Giants, moved to Arizona 2014, had been in Arizona for three to four years and then I moved to San Francisco. So I'd probably only see my parents maybe three weeks out of the whole year. And then with this whole COVID that happened, like I was able to spend three to four months with my parents. And oh, I was like, you, you grew up like Southeast LA, right? Yeah, I grew up in Southgate. So it's right next to right next to Watts and Downey. So I, I can't imagine that your parents didn't disown you when they found out you were going to be with the Giants. What was that all about? <laughs> uh, well, my parents didn't follow. My parents don't follow baseball. My brother uh, follows baseball, but he's actually a Houston fan. Oh, good man. No Dodgers in the family? Uh, my cousins. <laughs> my cousins and my neighbors. You know, so every time I pass by, they're like, hey, man, like, why don't you just switch teams? Or why you would have, like, why are you with the Giants? You know, I was like, why? Out of all the teams, like, why would you do that team? You know? I know. I grew up in Boston. I don't think I could take a spot with the Yankees. That's for sure. That'd just be going against everything. Yeah, I would definitely be disowned. So it's it's good that your folks are still speaking to you. But yeah, I, no, my, my folks still talk to me. <laughs> my cousins, not so much, but my my folks do, you know. But um, yeah, man, I think it was it was awesome, man. It was awesome to spend time with them and it uh 
that makes me realize every time I go home, man, it makes me realize why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's a grind. And, and that's something I think it's important to talk about is like baseball and pro sports. It's a grind, not only on the person, but the family. You know what I mean? And I think you had asked like, what's going to be the hardest thing this year from a baseball standpoint is like, with all the COVID protocols, man, like, I think the players aren't going to be able to have their families as much, even on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, let's say you're going through a slump, man. And it's like, you can usually hang out with your wife or your kids and like de-stress or like be away from that, get away from that. But like this year might be a little bit more difficult, which is why like it's baseball is physical, but I think it's a lot more mental than other sports, man. It's because um, you got to be the same person day in and day out for 162 games and it's a game of failure. And if you don't understand that and you aren't the same person, you don't come in with the same mentality every day, you're going to struggle, right? And that goes back to consistency is, are you consistent with your routine? Are you consistent with your prep routine? Are you consistent staying hydrated? Are you consistent with your sleep schedule? Are you consistent with your workouts? Are you consistent with your prep routine in the cage for throwing as a pitcher? Um, and can you do that for 162 games? You know, so from a physicality standpoint, these guys don't run as much as any other sport. Maybe the impact on the hips might be way higher than other sports, but it's can you stay focused for that duration of time? Can you be on for that long of a time? You know, and I don't know if people say, oh, you got to be mentally tough or you don't think like this in a week. I was like, no, man, it, it, it's tough. And I think that's why that's why these guys, that's why a 10 year big leaguer, or 12 year big leaguer has been in big leagues because he knows how to deal with that. And he's the same person day in and day out. Like you, you'll notice like, Oh, what's this guy's routine? Oh, well, he typically does this. And then he does that. And then he does this. Like you look at Bumgarner's routine, like Bumgarner's routine prior to his game, to his start is the same thing. Every single time, same placement of his equipment. If it's not done in this order, he doesn't feel good, but that's what gets him in the zone for his game. You know? You know, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody explain it. That's a game of failure. But yeah, if if you're a success that and and you're only successful thirty six percent, thirty seven percent of the time, you're an all star. Yeah, that's amazing. I, yeah, and what what uh, what mental kind of strain that's got to take uh, upon a person? I, yeah, I never really considered that. So so obviously. With that, you've got sports psychologists. And mm -hmm. do, you, do you work with the sports psychologists? Yeah, I do actually. Um, just started trying to do that a lot more this year. Like we're and we're, how does that what's that relationship like? And what is it that you do with him or her or them? It's just understanding why why guys would think a certain way. Like, of course, like whatever's spoken to the psychologist she's not he or she is not supposed to say anything they don't share it you know what I mean sure but it's making us as a staff better said understand that baseball is not the only thing in that person's life that person might be struggling and learning a new skill set or might not be as focused about going into the weight room because they don't see importance in that or they might have other things that are taking their energy away you know what I mean and it's making us realize that that happens you know what I mean? Not everyone's the same. Not everyone thinks the same. So it's almost like helps us out, not just necessarily the players, but helps us as a staff 
comprehend that each person is different and that we have to approach each person in different ways. Gotcha. Like the number one thing I went to, <laughs> I went to this uh, sports science conference in England like two years ago. And not that I was going to go and be amazed by like all these new facts and all these new studies and techniques. And one of the things that I took the most and resonated the most with me was one of the sports scientists for uh, the soccer teams out there. And he goes, when you ask a, a guy coming back from rehab, if you ask, if you guys say, hey, hey, Quato, like, how's your knee doing? I'm just giving Quato's name because I can't think of the athlete's name. But he said, it's like, hey, how's your knee doing? Or how's your elbow? You're like automatically letting that person know that you care more about his elbow and his knee than truly how he or she is feeling. Versus if you're to say, hey, Quato, how are you feeling today? How's it going? How's your family? It's more personal. You don't see that person as an object, as like just a tool or it's just like a resource. You know what I mean? So it's like you build a better connection. And I think we tend to lose that sometimes when we just try to like look at just data, 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 data. Don't get me wrong. Data is really important and I'm all for it. But that sense of communication and relationship building with the players cannot be lost. You know, I do. That's really well said. Yeah. And, and going there and trying to ex expect to find the, the next latest and greatest and what really comes down, back down to just basic personal skills and communication. Yep. So, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Well, Saul. I can't believe this time has flown by the way it has, but I've really enjoyed having a conversation with you. And honestly, this is this has been a lot of information that I was not aware of. So thanks for for educating me and hopefully the listening audience. And uh, good luck with the Giants this season as you guys kick it off. And and I'm sure if there's a fan in attendance, I'll I'll be heading up the coast and getting into a game or two because there's nothing like going to the ballpark and just sitting back and, and watching a good game take place. So thanks for being on. And that's it for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I want to thank Saul Martinez with the Giants organization for coming on and sharing a little bit of his experience and wisdom. Next week, we've got Derek Cantini with the Seattle Mariners, and we're going to find out what he's doing with the players up in the Pacific Northwest. Until then, make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on Instagram. Rocky underscore Snyder is where you want to go. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.